Welcome to Editing Aloud in what will be our last physical Editing Aloud program for a while now as we go into lockdown on Friday. There is only one topic for discussion, but it is absolutely sure to keep us going for the entire length of this program. And we have on the line Nazmira Muller um, from 91, which uh, just over a week ago uh, transitioned from the old Investec Asset Management and listed at uh, not a great moment in the market, Nazmira, but welcome to the show. Um, we wanted to talk to you about what's been happening in the markets, what's been happening in the economy, what we expect. But could we start with the Reserve Bank? Um, last week, quite a surprisingly sharp cut of 100 basis points in interest rates, but initially no comment on what the Reserve Bank was going to be, be doing about stabilizing markets. Subsequent to that, two announcements from the Saab about uh, money market and bond market operations. Nazmira, has the Reserve Bank um, done what it should have done? I mean, was, 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 has this provided reassurance to markets? Did they handle this the way they should have? Hi, Hilary. I think initially the Saab was a little bit complacent about the liquidity issues that the local markets were facing. And we saw that in the press conference after the NPC meeting, where I think both you and I tried to ask the question and we were dismissed a little bit. Um, and then after meetings with the banks and representatives of the savings industry, I think they got a little bit more concerned and initially announced a massive increase in the liquidity they would be prepared to provide into the market on Friday. But that still wasn't enough because the main issue is what you're seeing is asset managers in particular needing term lending, needing three-month, six-month, nine-month lending, and the banks were not providing, were not willing and or able to do that when all they were getting from the Reserve Bank was overnight or seven-day financing. So this morning, big bang announcement from the Reserve Bank where they said, one, they will provide term lending of up to 12 months. Initially, today's auction, they're providing three months but they're willing to go up to 12 months, um, depending on the situation. And then secondly, um, they will be also looking to buy government bonds in order to ensure the transmission of monetary policy, which is quite different to quantitative easing um, in terms of intent and implementation, but it is easy for people to confuse the two. That was exactly what I was going to ask you, Nazmira. The, is this quantitative easing, or does it just look no, like it? No, it, it, it has some of the same characteristics where you have a central bank buying government bonds, but the main difference is they're not going to be participating in the primary market. So when National Treasury issues bonds, um, the Reserve Bank will not be buying bonds at that point. Also, there is an intent. So when the U.S. Fed or the ECB um, began quantitative easing, it was because their policy rates were at or very close to zero. We still have a long way to go. If the Saab needs to transmit um, easing of monetary conditions into the market, they can cut the repo rate. It's currently at 5.25%. Most forecasts for inflation this year see inflation sub 4%. So you've got at least 150 basis points in real rates, which before you start um, going into negative real rates in South Africa, there's plenty of room to cut rates first before they have to use bond buying to try and loosen monetary conditions. So is the market now sort of suitably soothed? And, and, and Nazmira, does this mean anything for us, the kind of people out there? Does it make a difference to us? 
Well, the market certainly stabilized. So to give you an idea, between the 12th of March and yesterday, the bond market had sold off by more than 300 basis points at various points in the curve. And that's really important because it means that the Treasury is having to issue, remember that we have a large budget deficit, which is only going to get larger with COVID-19. So they're having to issue debt every week. And the cost of that debt had just risen enormously from 9% on the 10-year to 13%. And or approaching 30%. So I think what, what you're seeing is yields coming in. They're still not back to March 12th levels, but they have come in. And how that translates to us all on the street is it means the Treasury is, again, looking at being able to fund itself to um, issue into the market. And that's really important in this period that we're going into. I imagine so, Lucanio, uh, you must, uh, what sort of numbers are you hearing about how bad the, the government's deficit uh, could get and how much more they're going to need to be borrowing, given what's happening to the economy, uh, what's happening to tax revenues? Well, here it's quite amazing. Like, was it like February? How many weeks ago we were talking about 6.8% being such a bad number? <laughs> it's going to look good. <laughs> I mean, like you think like now, I mean, I, I think the numbers out there, obviously, like, I mean, like if you ask the governor, you probably say people are, like, are sucking their thumbs. But you're getting a lot of numbers. Some people are talking about 10 percent, even. Like, 10 percent deficit. So uh, government's going to be borrowing a lot of money, which is more. why the, the market's concerns about that exactly. Kind of I mean, and then, as as Minister said, like, I mean, if you were borrowing for 10 years at 9 percent, whatever it was, like three months ago, which is actually was bad enough on its own because it was actually that's 300 basis points more than what say a country like Brazil that was on junk was was actually being able to fund itself. And now you're looking to go back to the market at 13, 14 percent, or whatever it is on a 10 year. I mean, that's not going to be pretty. I mean, I don't know how you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Julieta, what are fund managers telling you about, you know, what, what the scenario is going to look like? I haven't spoken to too many fund managers. If you talk about um, the valuations of equity markets in this period, is that what you're referring to? That too, yes. Bonds went crazy. Equities. Yeah, bonds went crazy. Equities have gone mad. Um, or maybe it's not actually mad. Maybe it's a, in a way an entirely is irrational mad or is it response irrational? Yes. Um, to, to what is... An, a completely unknown situation. But th what we do know is that it's going to be very bad for business in South Africa. And I don't think any kind of normal metrics are going to apply to companies this year. Um, in fact, David Shapiro um, tweeted something quite interesting today saying, the numbers are going to be shocking, but they're almost irrelevant now. So if uh, GDP contracts 6% or 8% or 10%, clearly, if you shut down an entire country for a few weeks, there's going to have um, s uh, spectacular ramifications on all businesses um, in South Africa. What is more important is how quickly we get back to a level of growth and how quickly we get confidence back into our economy. That's actually the issue. How do we bounce back from the shutdown? And that is probably going to influence how companies do this year. Um, you know, we can bandy about the, the PMI contraction that you saw in Europe, for example, the Eurozone economy contracting the most, I think, since the early 90s, or in fact, maybe since the PMI in reading But in began. other words, it's, it's so bad that the, the best thing we can do is sort of look forward. And let, let's turn to exactly that subject. I mean, everyone, I think, felt very um, amazed and reassured in a way by the very firm action and the very statesman-like demeanor of, of President Cyril Ramaphosa the other night. But is the action that is putting being put in place enough to ensure that we might bounce back in some sort of decent shape 
Yeah. I mean, in fairness, like, I think what we must keep in mind here, the, the action here is not really about the economy. Like, like Juliette said, when the economy is going to close down, it's not just the country is closed down, the whole world is closed down. I mean, we're we actually making here a decision about health. I mean, essentially, I mean, there's no doubt that there is going to be an economic cost and it's going to be huge, but probably be like a much bigger cost on a human level if we don't do something. But then even if we if, even if we do something and then it turns out later we shouldn't have done it, maybe we overreacted, it's probably better to be wrong in that way than to be wrong in the other way of doing nothing and have like thousands, millions of people dying. So I'm not sure these steps in terms of what they will do in terms of the economy, except for the bad part. I'm not sure about bouncing back. But that's almost irrelevant in a, in a way because we're, we're actually dealing with a sort of humanitarian health issue rather than Well, I mean, surely, I, I mean, there, is, there is, has been a bit of a debate about sort of health versus growth, if you like. Mm. Um, I mean, I suppose the debate is, um, are more people going to die of hunger or of, of penury? Uh, if they don't work, they, I mean, and so many South Africans live hand to mouth. Um, we're already so fragile economically. This could be arguably as bad for anyone as uh, uh, an epidemic of sickness uh, sort of r that is ripping through the world. I mean, I can, I can see both sides of the debate, but I think it was the World Health Organization's um, gentleman uh, whose name escapes me now, who has previously been in charge of Ebola um, response uh, on behalf of the organization, saying it is better to act quickly and then make a, make, maybe make a few mistakes, maybe you act too hastily, but mm. act quickly uh, uh, and, and, uh, and address the situation and then, and then afterwards kind of maybe tally the cost. Um, and, and that is really the response. to a world really which, yeah. which we, we really don't know. I mean, mm, it's I a suppose, very unfamiliar yeah. world. I mean, I suppose the key thing here, I mean, you'd rather be like Cyril Maposa than be Donald Trump or Boris Johnson. You know, you actually you listen to the experts and you take the advice and then mm. you do what, you, what, what the advice most credible advice tells you what to do. What but we did is quite unusual yeah. in that respect. If you mm. compare us to Boris Johnson or Donald Trump, we took we seem to have taken the advice of the experts right up front. Yeah, which is exactly. I mean, I mean, only, only I mean, Johnson is doing it now, but I, even then, under duress. I mean, it's mm. taken how many hundreds of people to die before they did that. And Trump's I mean, I mean, been doing it and undercutting oh, the. Advice. I mean, he's been telling people to take unproven drugs. I mean, there's a report about somebody mm. actually dying from taking one of his drugs. So, so have we got a better chance. I mean, has, has the kind of action that we've taken, does, is it too soon to tell whether we might have done the right thing? Well, I'm not sure because you know, obviously as of today, you saw uh, case numbers of uh, people infected with COVID-19 spike to over 700. So th th the increases are exponential, but I suppose that's as test mm. results come through. Mm. Um, I mean, we already had a, a fragile and deeply dysfunctional healthcare system. Uh, so let's not forget, uh, and, and maybe that is, uh, I mm. guess, one of the, the reasons why we had to act so swiftly, because we acknowledge that our healthcare system is not up to scratch. I mean, the Italian healthcare system uh, is, is creaking, is, is <laughs> creaking and it was a mm. really good healthcare mm. system. Um, um, you know, I've, I've got family living in Italy, my brother's in lockdown in Turin, I've got cousins in the, the Lombardia province, mm. which is the hotspots for coronavirus. Um, and the health care that they've received over the years has been phenomenal. It really, really is, mm. for a socialist country, it's, it's, it's uh, one of the advantages mm. of living in Italy is you had this fantastic health care mm. system. So you can see what's happened to them. I mean, 
we're on the back foot anyway. So, you know, we're, so we're we, can't, we just can't afford for this thing to get out of control. Yep. I was very struck yesterday. I was at the press conference with, with the health minister. Um, and so I don't have today's up-to-date figures, but the pattern was still interesting. Even yesterday was, was that of the cases, which was 500 and something yesterday, 75% uh, were still imported and a fair proportion of the rest were still um, their relatives. Um, plus, there was this free state church gathering, which accounts for the entire free state <laughs> infections, uh, where they had some foreign visitors who then went home all over the place. But um, can we in, just in say, sense, don't go to church, okay? Don't go to church. Don't, don't listen to the pastor. But, but I think, I mean, what you're saying, uh, Juliet, in a way, is that is that so far it's largely imported. What we can't afford, given the dysfunctional state of our health system, is for it to spread uncontrolled. And I imagine one of the particular concerns was the way everybody goes home to rural areas over Easter, because I've certainly heard rural doctors saying, please don't let these people come home. Yeah. These urban people who might have caught it. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, and also you've got people who don't have a choice other than using like, public transport. I mean, whenever we keep, we keep being told to stay, use your car, don't use public transport. I mean, that's fine for you and I in the suburbs. I mean, There's 16 <laughs> like, million people, according to the <laughs> number know, they gave you, so 16 million people kind of on public yeah. transport every day. Yeah. We're going to take a short break and we'll come back and talk about life under lockup. Welcome back. Life under lockdown. Um, Julieta, what was your biggest concern about lockdown and has it been addressed in the details of the regulations that have been published? Yes, and let's, let's, let us state here that my concerns are clearly very, very middle class. <laughs> it's just whether I could go for a walk, a nice, brisk, health-improving walk. I don't have a dog, so it wasn't whether I could uh, take my dog for a walk or not, but that does seem to have concerned a lot of South Africans. And apparently we are allowed to go for a run, a solitary run or a solitary walk with our dog as long as we don't interact with um, other human Stay beings. Stay two meters apart. Yes, I was on the point of borrowing somebody's dog on the grounds that, talk, that talk, perhaps talk, talk. only dog walking would be allowed. But it seems that it's, it's as the UK, as in the UK, a solitary walk, cycle, dog walk, keeping two meters apart is permissible. Mm. But I'm not sure, you know, if the army stops you, what do you say? This is my exercise run, and you I haven't say, done it more than once. Look, I'm wearing my <laughs> athletic kit. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a I'm major problem with this. It's also very suburban, but the, the no, there is, there is a, on the one end, there's quite a problem with lockdown and everybody mm. sort of eating too many carbs. And at the other end, there's, I mean, I really do look on your, is this, you, they've promised essential foodstuffs will get to people, but surely there's a concern about supply chains and oh. particularly to, to, areas no definitely but if, before you get to that I, I wanted to ask you a bit more about the dogs and the exercise because because <laughs> I actually went for a run this morning and, and, and my run actually takes me through to Saxon world and so it's always amazes me when you when you go past there the people don't seem to walk their own dogs they've got other people walking their dogs so then I was wondering like so are dog walkers regarded as essential <laughs> or, not, or do you know or do you now have to walk your own dog if you're a rich person in Saxon world in the way that you will <laughs> that you will have in the way that you will have to look after your own children and do your own housework in many um, cases um, um and and yes i think well look i think there are issues around especially for workers in essential services who is going to look after the kids schools are closed um domestic help um in many cases in most cases will have to stay at home as well i think there are a lot of issues that we we have yet to 
to sort out. But but just going back to this, um, you know, from the suburbs to to the townships, as it were. Uh, what guarantee do we have that that the kind of measures which have been promised in terms of supplying both essential services and particularly essential food and drink mm. can be delivered on? I mean, it's, I mean, it's a big worry. I mean, even before any any crisis, I mean, we I mean, we're not the most efficient society in the world. I hate to say so myself, but. So, like, you know, like, in terms of, just in terms of, like, social delivery on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, like, the, the things that we need to deliver to people, whether it's water, whether it's whatever, like, this is before any crisis. So, like, the idea that somehow we just, we're suddenly going to have find this, like, amazing new surge of efficiency. Well, maybe we will. It, it, does, maybe. it does worry me to, to that extent. Yeah, like, I mean, it's good to have all these measures that we want to do. And you're talking about capacity, capacity to actually deliver. And, I mean, our history of delivery hasn't been great. I mean, that's why we keep having the, you know, this delivery protests all the time. So how are we going to manage all, all these complex things that you, that, that you raise? I mean, that's one of my, of my big concerns. And it's like actually how to get products to the people that, that, that need them. I mean, it does seem, though, look, I mean, if uh, Lindiwe Sisulu seems to have woken up to the, the importance of her portfolio, finally, you know, instead of politicking, she's actually got a job to do, which, as you say, could have been done either by her or her predecessor for many years slash two and a half decades uh, before we arrived at this crisis. But it seems to have lit a fire under government's backside uh, in order to it? kind of go out and actually do what it should have done. Um, it has been woefully delinquent as a, a steward of its citizens. Um, so to not have sanitation, to not have running water in, in, in many, many towns across South Africa is a dereliction of duty. The, the state has broken contract with its citizens. And maybe now this is the time, this crisis will actually ensure that it recognizes that it has to do what it should have done a long time ago. That, that might mm. be the one upside, isn't it? Mm. I mean, that is what people, are, that, that this may there had, has been this absolutely renewed energy within government and people suddenly making decisions which they should have made or promising to do things which they should have done ages ago. So is that where some of the, this is surely the moment to make some of those tough decisions. Mm. Um, I mean, you could, I'm exactly. sure you've got a list in your head, but, mm. but is there some upside there that this might be? I mean, what are the chances that we get some of the so-called structural reforms or efficiency reforms that we've long wanted. Mm. I mean, uh, we actually sort of try to make that point in our, in our editorial. Maybe this could be the turning point for Cyril Maposa's presidency. Because like, up, to, up to this point, it's always like, okay, he knows what to do, but he can't do it because Ace Mahashwila will say A, B, and C. But maybe now, maybe like this, this could be the point where he actually says, you know, if I do the right things that need to be done, so society is behind me. So like, I can't be like, Pleasing every branch of the ANC, I'm going to do what's well governed for the whole country and not, and not governed for the NEC, the Hotla. So maybe, hopefully, this is the kind of, and also maybe like then, like maybe his presidency then can have a bit of a more of a momentum, because if he goes, if, if this ends and then we go back to the same old promises and then ANC meeting, oh sorry, no, we can't do that now because like you know somebody else says no. <laughs> you know? And and there's that sense of leadership being exercised which mm. we haven't had for a while. One of those decisions is surely SAA, mm. which is now not flying at all. Well, I mean, is this not the moment to shut the Shut it down. down. Mm. Since it has shut itself down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was thinking, I, I wasn't entirely sure about um, the, the, the funds the Treasury has allocated towards SAA. Um, 
what happens to those? And particularly in light of the seed capital that Treasury has promised to this um, uh, sort of uh, business assistance fund that was uh, announced on Monday night. To oh, which, separate, the, uh, the, the new yeah. solidarity fund. The solidarity yes. fund, sorry. So that mm. 150 million rand um, to which uh, the Rupert and Oppenheimer families are adding a mm. billion rand each. And you think, and someone once again on Twitter said, you think in a, a, a sort of a five trillion rand economy such as ours, the Treasury could have allocated more than 150 million rand. I mean, that is a drop in the I ocean. Mean, Can't they I mean, pull the, some of those I mean, funds? That, that's but that's going to be the private fund. I mean, they have also allocated mm. stuff to the Small Business Development Ministry, which is never mm. done. I mean, look at the SAA. Good example, you mentioned SAA. You've got money there allocated to SAA. I mean, for example, we know since we've closed schools, a lot of children in this country, I thought something like 109 million of them, actually only eat at school. So like, they're not at school, yep. so, they're, so they're not getting meals. So in the meantime, you set aside four billion for SAA, and children are, are going hungry. I mean, how do you square that as a government? <laughs> and have we seen any innovative thinking going into exactly that problem of children? Oh, is something going to stand in for the school feeding scheme? Even though we know that the kids were going to be on holiday, but it, it mm. feels like they could be on holiday for a long time now. And mm. I haven't seen much about online learning or anything like uh, that. I mean, I think, uh, and, and this is the editorial that we wrote in FM last week, is that um, the schools being on holiday, uh, this extended leave period for schools kind of reinforces the inequality that we have in our society. So if you're a middle class kid, you go to a middle class or rich school, you probably have online learning, you're going to have food, you have your same comforts. As Lakanya said, nine million kids, that's the only meal that they get a day. And they're not going to be online learning. They don't have those facilities. They don't have um, much set up for them. Um, and it seems to me at the moment that it's maybe only private mm. organizations that are coming to the fore to help children, I haven't seen any news from either the Department of Basic Education or Treasury for that matter on helping uh, children uh, and, and learners through this period. I mean, in a way, that, 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 that decision that resulted in the, was it the Monday night press conference? I mean, there must have been, that was a huge thing to do. And get, working out what this means in practice, I imagine there's lots more. There are a whole lot of issues we have yet to identify to which we don't have answers. But one of them certainly is small business support, which was a, you've mentioned the private sector fund and there's mm. public sector funding. Is there enough in place for small businesses and sole contractors and informal sector people who will have absolutely no income mm. as of probably pretty much today? I mean, I doubt, I mean, I think that they've announced some, 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 some measures. I mean, I think there's 200 million for like BNPs, but nothing we ever do is ever going to be enough. <laughs> you know? Also, you know, I mean, there's also the efficiency issue, surface, which, which mm. we've, we've already talked about is, will it get to people even mm, if it's yeah. theoretically Yeah, I mean, the, if the UIF is the conduit for people to access some funds, um, if they've been laid off for a period, um, I mean, I can tell you when I went on maternity leave, because they couldn't get, um, the umlaut on my married surname uh, correct so I didn't get my maternity leave benef benefits for more than seven months uh, and and to to sort of interact with the UIF was a nightmare so uh, you know that's what the government really has to try and get into place is, is the mechanism to actually maybe the money is there it's the mechanisms to get the money out um, also in the FM if I can tout at, uh, mm. our, our own product <laughs> free advertising um, yes. Bernard Swanepoel we, we quite 
Bernard Swanepoel and John Dludlu, John Dludlu being the CEO of Small Business Institute and Bernard Swanepoel being one of the directors. And he wrote an opinion piece for us just talking about how the government had an opportunity in 1996 to really push for small business, to kind of get legislation that would help small business and it just neglected it. Maybe now, when you realize how important small business is to this country, it will also be the moment to, to kind of get the state to listen to the sector of the economy. Just turning to the subject of the banks, um, on which I think we are expecting some sort of announcement. Um, as we led in business times the other day, with, with, with the banks had asked uh, Minister Patel for an exemption so they could just sit down and talk to each other about debt forbearance or payment holidays and so on. Um, that too was granted in, in the President's yes. speech. What kind of, I mean, what is this going to do to banks? Because this is not, I mean, nobody's offering them sort of government funding to let people default, as it were, mm. or to restructure people's debt. Are we going to see an absolute sort of rout in bank profits? Or are, is there, are there any question marks about bank soundness and stability? Uh, I mean, one of the strengths we've had in this country has been our financial services system, which has been quite strong, quite well managed, and also quite well regulated. I mean, I don't think we have... I mean, I don't get any sense from what I've seen that there's, there's, there's this question of stress in terms of the, of the big banks. I don't think, for example, we should be worrying about the long-term health of, of a standard bank or a first rent or... I mean, obviously, this goes on for years. The, for the months, profits, months. I imagine, yeah, will not look very yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, the profits, the profits were never going to look great. And can, but then that's true of the whole sector of the economy. That's true of the whole economy in the whole across the world. From, I mean, are we seeing? Are we seeing, in a way, a, a kind of a, a business coming to the party with, you know, the profits are going to be done anyway. We will do what we can to help. Have have one has one has the feeling of a better relationship between business and government or a bit of a more corporate citizen approach by business well, yeah, in the I last mean, I few think, days? I think maybe we have a solidarity feeling in that we're all in this together. No one is exempt from this lockdown except for a, a few essential services and even then you're... Including the media. Including I mean, the, yes. Uh, I mean, uh, no. Yes. I mean, there's, there's never a good time to have this, but imagine if this was happening in 2016 and we're still fighting about white monopoly capital. And yes, all or, or imagine Jacob <laughs> you know, Zuma you know, and the, the Gupta know, family were our decision makers. Political leadership we can sort of trust. Just one more minute, Juliet. I just wanted to ask, we've really got 30 seconds. What is your biggest concern about lockdown, but what is your biggest sort of upside? What are you looking forward to and what are you really not looking forward to? Oh, um, I'm not sure if I'm looking forward to being at home all day <laughs> with an 18-month-old child. But <laughs> luckily, we, we are regarded as like uh, essential services, apparently. So maybe we don't have to be, be as locked up as as much as other people. So We're that's what this is a lot. So that that is one positive. <laughs> that's all we have time for this evening. Um, good luck for lockdown. Take care. Stay safe.